This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode by the Kenyan Wall Street Podcast. Uh, today, I have uh, an interesting guest. Her name is Elsie Mbugwa. So Elsie is the founder and managing director of uh, Leadwood Energy. So she's here to talk about uh, the energy space, more specifically, you know, her role in, in, in that space and basically helping us understand uh, the different movers and shakers of the, end of, of the energy industry. So welcome again to the podcast, Elsie. Uh, Thank you, Eric, for having me. Yeah, so maybe let's let's get started by you know just looking at your background um, in the energy industry. So you worked um, at Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, as as an energy trader uh, before moving on to J.P. Morgan, uh, you know, and then a couple of years in the UK as well. Uh, so maybe just uh, help us understand how you got into the energy trading uh, business or industry. All right, no, fantastic. Uh, So we'll start by saying perhaps, you know, one of the fewer women in the industry, but I have about 15 years of experience in the energy sector. And so, as you rightly said, I started as a physical energy trader uh, on the Goldman Sachs J. Aaron commodity business. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, what they were doing is that they were hedging uh, airlines for the first time. Um, And because it was around the financial crisis, it was the first time that banks got involved in buying outright crude on behalf of the refineries. So the banks would make money off of the the financial um, arrangements that they had. So LIBOR plus whatever spread. And then they would also uh, be paid back uh, off of the hydrocarbons. And so that's how, you know, what we quintessentially think as Wall Street banks, that's how many of them uh, became physical energy traders um, and had that exposure. Uh, I then moved on to JP Morgan, again, as a physical energy trader. And this time I was in, uh, I started on the coal and emissions desk. At the time, most of the electricity utilities in the U.S. were run by, uh, were run on coal. And and then quickly from there, we had acquired quite a number of um, assets, power assets. So I traded about 3,000 megawatts of natural gas uh, fired power plants. And just to give you context, um, you know, we're probably at that 2,000, you know, sort of 600 mark in the country at the moment. So what I'm saying is that I'm trading more than what we, the capacity that we have uh, in Kenya at that time. And wow. most of those assets were in California. Mm-hmm. And then because of a good understanding of the natural gas markets, I started trading uh, pipeline natural gas. What that means is that we go to the gas producers um, and then buy directly from the wellhead, uh, enter into long-term uh, pipeline arrangements and then sell on to utilities, mainly out in the East Coast. And yeah. so what we're making is the spread, right? Between where we've purchased and where we're selling. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had a little bit more of an international background. Uh, Kenya is home. Uh, and so I was looking for that international experience um, and was asked to be 
uh, one, in fact, the only North America trader uh, for uh, to build out JP Morgan's LNG business. Mm -hmm. So I managed one of the biggest LNG facilities um, through a marketing agreement that JP Morgan had with a facility called Chenier out in Louisiana. Um, and then with that, uh, stayed on for a couple of years and then um, realized that I wanted to move back to Africa and thought that uh, it might be a good idea to first move to the EMEA desk uh, within JP Morgan still. Mm -hmm. um, and I was moved to trade dated Brent. So I was one of two physical crude oil traders for JP Morgan, uh -huh. uh, meaning that you're trading a lot of the North Sea grades um, and some of the light sweets, for, uh, you know, the bonnies and quas um, out of West Africa. And so that kind of gives you a good sense uh, of yeah. sort of prior to my entrepreneurial life. And then about four and a half years ago, I uh, left JP Morgan and moved back. Um, yeah. And I recognized that the opportunity that we were just at the beginning of our energy journey um, and that it would be exciting to be, you know, part of building something um, on the continent. And so that's how we're here today. It's, that's that's really quite the story, and you know you you talk about um, just your your years in, um, in in the US and then later in uh, in London. Uh, so how how has the shift of the energy industry been? You know during your time, as as you said, when you started fifteen years ago, and where we are at at the moment. Uh, so I think what I would say is that um, our energy markets on the continent, we are still at a very nascent stage. So, you know, the way I see it here is that we're currently laying the frameworks, uh, we're establishing the policy to drive the, the strategic energy efforts across the continent. Um, so I think having been a trader in mature markets, it's almost like having a crystal ball to see what our markets will look like 10 to 15 years from now. Yeah. Um, and if you can see where we are just in terms of just some metrics, you know, on the continent, we still have about 600 million people without electricity. Uh -huh. um, on our consumption of imported refined products, let me just say Kenya in particular, one, we are price takers on the international, um, you know, fuel market mm -hmm. uh, and someone rightly said that kenya's consumption is actually the evaporation fuel at one of ExxonMobil's refineries right so just to give yeah. you context yeah um and i think uh, given that i am from kenya i think what we are seeing at the moment is that kenya is one of the more developed nations on the continent so you know in short we still have a long way to go to industrialize our economies but I think that's a fantastic thing for, for many of us and why we're all back, because it just means there's boundless opportunities as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and you've just mentioned that actually the, the industry um, on the continent is, is, is quite nascent. Um, and I know then, uh, you know, coming back, uh, you started LC Investments uh, and, and also by extension, you know, lead with energy, which then focuses on, on power. So maybe you can just... Um, Tell us more about uh, LC Investments and Leadwood uh, Energy as well. Okay, so I think for the conversation, so LC Investments is a holding company, uh, but the vehicle that does most of our energy transactions is Leadwood Energy. Uh -huh. So just for purposes of this, I'll focus on Leadwood Energy. Yeah. Uh, so I'm the founder and the managing director of Leadwood Energy, um, which is a specialized energy advisory firm that supports both governments and private sector on major infrastructure developments on the continent um, and particularly renewable energy. Uh, the firm was created in 2017. Uh, we are headquartered in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, we established the firm with the intent of unlocking 
a lot of the possibilities that we saw in Africa's energy growth story. Uh, and since then, we've been dedicating on finding solutions to complex energy issues. So now that's both within the oil and gas sector and then the renewable energy sector. So what I would say uh -huh. is that we are across the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and as a firm, I think we've been guided by that understanding that um, energy touches every aspect of human life, and that's why it is so exciting. So service and value creation have always been a core part uh, of our business uh -huh. um, and has also ensured that we remain very customer focused. Yeah. Um, the way the firm is set up is that we've got a strong technical uh, capacity and then coupled with our financial expertise, what we find is that often we are the bridge between the technical developers on major infrastructure projects uh, in this region and also the investors as well. So in some cases, we'll lead on the technical side of the project and provide that support to our clients. And other times we are on the financial side. So I think that blend of expertise, both technical and financial, has been a key differentiator um, that has allowed us to, to really thrive in this environment. I should also mention that the company has received numerous awards. Um, and in 2020, we were voted best renewable energy consulting firm in East Africa. And mm -hmm. we also received the East African Green Future Leadership Award in November. That's that's really awesome. And and so you said the uh, Leadwood Energy um, was founded in uh, 2017, if I'm not wrong, uh, but you've already worked on um, on a number of uh, projects and, and one of them includes, you know, your advisory to the State Department of Petroleum Kenya uh, with regards to the um, Tala Oil um, project so maybe you could just uh, touch a little bit on what specifically you know you uh, your farm was was working on with the with, with this with the state department in this project yeah so so i i acted as a financial transaction advisor to the government on, of kenya on the country's crude oil prospects yeah. but it was part of a larger consortium uh with two other leading firms multinationals I also happen to be the only, um, you know, sort of Kenyan on, on, on the financial transaction advisory team. Uh -huh. uh, so our participation included negotiating the heads of terms that were signed by the president in June of 2019, yeah. and also the export of the 200,000 200, barrels uh, that were done jointly with the oil contractor. Mm -hmm. So we were quite amassed and also kind of thinking about the framework of of how we would finance the pipeline as well uh, yeah. from Lokicha to Lamu. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, let's go on. Uh, so some of the other transactions uh, that we've worked on, I think, you know, it, it might be important to sort of lay it out is that often, uh, you know, we usually note internally that our main focus is on first, first of a kind transactions. I think we thought that given the expertise that we have and, and particularly the global expertise that we have, yeah. then we could carve out a niche for ourselves uh, to focus on some of the harder uh, more difficult and challenging projects uh, in the region. Uh, so some of the things that we've been doing uh, that you might have seen is that we were restructuring National Oil Company of Kenya. Yeah. Uh, we were brought on, on board by the lenders just to provide the financial analysis and help them understand just how big uh, was the hole uh, that we looked at. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of what we provided was guidance in terms of 
various things that the government could potentially explore to just get the you know national oil company back to financial health. Uh, we've been involved in acquisitions of thermal power plants by various infrastructure funds, mm-hmm. um, some of them public, some of them not public. Um, and we also provide the technical expertise on gas conversion of those plants. Um, and we've supported that also by linking LNG traders who we have close relationships with uh-huh. uh, to the investment committees of a lot of these infrastructure funds to provide them the comfort Uh, in making some of these critical investments uh, in our country. Uh, Something else that we've been involved in is just policy directive on the privatization of uh, transmission lines. And currently we're working with various uh, development finance institutions on how we can de-risk transmission investment. And and, and I can lay that out a little bit more as we have a conversation. Um, We we focus uh, also on supporting institutional investors on environmental, social, and corporate governance, so ESG, which is sort Mm -hmm. of now the new buzzword (laughs) that we keep hearing around. And what we keep saying is that, you know, it's no longer a nice to have metric uh, on our financial reports. Um, You know, now it is something that investors and shareholders are demanding. Um, And, you know, we see with BlackRock and, you know, you know, and Temasek, uh, there's been just a lot of noise about trillions of dollars that are available. Yeah. And what we're doing is su- just sounding out that it's important that our African companies really start thinking through sustainability and ESG reporting as a as a core focus. Um, yeah. And so we are supporting that and ultimately becoming a bridge um, between those that have the money and those that could benefit from uh, from some of that capital. Um, and then previously we had worked with, you know, Dalberg, so Leadwood Energy with Dalberg Advisors uh, completed and presented a study on the feasibility of a local currency denominated power purchase agreement. Uh-huh. Uh, you would know that if that went through, that would be the first one. Again, it's coming back home, recognizing that you know, these are, this is patient, um, you know, and a lot of these transactions are almost like annuities. So why should we be spending? You know, we have a lot of fund managers who are looking for yield. A lot of these projects, as long as you have a healthy utility, are de-risked. So yeah. we thought, why not think about how us as Africans can also benefit um, from these long-term infrastructure investments that we have on the continent? Yeah, and um, then just finally, it might be worth noting um, that I think often, you know, our technical expertise um, to help communities, um, you know, we also use it to help communities uh, with their infrastructure bottlenecks, and we do this through our foundation at Kenya. So in December, for example, um, you know, at Kenya completed a borehole to support more than three thousand vendors at Uhuru Market in Narabi uh, to get access to clean water. Mm-hmm. So we'll arrange the financing for it and we'll also do the technical and complete the drilling ourselves. So we, we, we do use our private sector uh, skills to also support um, communities that could benefit. Yeah, and I think uh, also the, the energy infrastructure, you know, is one of the most capital intensive, uh, obviously, areas. And um, you really need to, you know, to get um, the right partners. And uh, sometimes it's to the tune of uh, billions of dollars. So it's really important to have, uh, you know, uh, companies like yourself who have that um, expertise to then bring all those partners on board uh, and execute the project. 
Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, then, uh, so maybe if we just look uh, a little more on the oil and gas space, and I would just want us to focus mostly on, on, on Africa. Um, so there's obviously supply chains have been uh, severely affected by uh, by the pandemic. Um, from where you sit, ha, are we have we started seeing uh, some sort of recovery in terms of um, supply uh, of, of, of mostly oil and gas uh, across the continent or even globally? Yeah, so, you know, very, very interesting question. Um, again, I think what you recognize I, on the eastern side of the country, I mean, we are price takers because we're still in the development phases of, you know, our oil and gas spaces. So take Kenya for an example. We might have discovered oil, uh, but right now we've not reached a place and we're still in the exploration phase and had, are not there in terms of production. Yeah. Uh, Mozambique might be a step ahead. I think Tanzania has a little bit more of a unique in the fact that they have gas. Um, but they're also exploring for for oil um, and other things as well. I think West Africa is a little bit different in the sense that they have been a key player in terms of exporting, right? So they got to production a lot earlier. But I think the key thing is looking back where we've come from and where we are right now. So in 2020 um, and just around the beginning of COVID, you know, you essentially had almost a full-on demand destruction, right? Um, and at a time where it was coupled with, you know, just prices falling uh, to the core. What we've seen is that, you know, as economies are starting to recover, we're getting more people vaccinated, people are starting to move a little bit more, you yeah. know, that there's been an increase, that price uptick, you know, has been consistent um, all the way through. Um, so this is now more on a pricing standpoint. I think that is where many of us uh, on the continent have felt um, have felt that increase, and perhaps even in Kenya and Uganda, uh, just a real outcry um, at you know having to pay really high fuel prices at a time when you know the people's businesses and the economy has been massively impacted yeah. uh, by COVID. I think from an infrastructure standpoint, uh, things are still slow. And a big part of that is the issues around capital flight. Uh, so you'll recognize that a lot of major uh, you know, institutional money right now uh, with issues around climate change are just not willing uh, to put money into what was the traditional fossil fuel. So, right, so that has been a major departure. Um, and that is uh, the consequence of that, um, or the result of that, uh, will massively impact the sector. Mm -hmm. uh, so, things like you know, including Tanzania and, and what they plan on doing. I think the traditional um, sources of money that we had for the oil and gas space, that has dried up. Um, and that is a, a source of concern for many within the sector. Mm -hmm. And all of that is moving to cleaner fuels um, and the renewable energy sector has been the main beneficiary of that. Yeah, um, and before we go then to the renewable energy, I know we've mentioned uh, a lot about Tanzania and Uganda, and there's been recent development, you know, with, uh, with just the government signing up uh, agreements for the uh, oil pipeline between Uganda and Tanzania, and also closer home, uh, the gas pipeline between Kenya and uh, Tanzania. What 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 can we expect from, you know, this infrastructure development? 
so I think first, uh, the announcements might have been made. So for example, specifically speaking on gas, um, that's an MOU, right? So between by the time you move from memorandum of understanding um, to where the transaction is completely done, there's a lot of work that needs to get done. So I think one, it's managing the expectations mm-hmm. of how quickly the, that could potentially come on yeah. um, and recognizing that that is that's years as well, right? I think on the Tanzanian side, I think one thing to watch out for is commitments of financing. So Mm -hmm. back to what I was saying in terms of capital flight, I think we'll we'll know it's a real go because we might have the passion and the willingness to see a lot of these infrastructure transactions done. Um, But Tanzania as well is coming from a place where perhaps you know, policies had had not previously been in favor of investors. Uh, And unfortunately, it's usually very difficult uh, to change that tide when there's already some potentially bad blood uh, in certain situations. So I think one, I think the key thing on a lot of these transactions is, you know, to 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 watch out for commitments from, you know, potential investors to finance it. I think we also need to get to a place where FID is done. Uh-huh. And, um, and and so those will be the critical, you know, sort of signals that the market is looking for, uh, for us to know that it's a real goal. I think signing agreements um, and perhaps, you know, breaking ground are two different things. And the fact that uh, these long-term infrastructure plays take time. So we do have to be patient. Yeah, yeah, of course, we, we, we really have to be patient to, to, you know, to see the projects come to fruition and to uh, get some um, maybe nice uh, output from it. And then uh, you mentioned also uh, on the issue of price, uh, and, and obviously there's been uh, some increase in demand, especially with the reopening of, of, of the US, some states and, and Europe as well. Uh, and obviously, uh, then we've seen oil uh, register some uh, gains on price, uh, which has really affected um, the Kenyans, so especially in terms of price. Uh, I, I've seen today super petrol is up again, uh, I think three shillings uh, per liter. Uh, do we expect to see uh, you know, uh, these gains continue uh, over the next uh, few months? Yeah, no, so Eric, I mean, you know, if I had the crystal ball on knowing where crude prices were going, I would certainly not be working again. Um, but I think part of, part of it is, you know, the, it's, the increase in price has been based on the perception of a recovery, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that perceived recovery, I think prices will sustain. I think right now we're trading within a bandwidth. And if you look at historically, this yeah. is generally where prices sort of seem to stagnate. Mm-hmm. Um, the prices had tried to push through uh, that $70 uh, mark, and that has not happened. So yeah. what we're stay- saying is that there's some stability. I think the pain was that uh, we were talking about, you know, $30 prices of Merban crude at some point earlier uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And then now we're talking about 60. So that has been an upward, you know, an upward trajectory that has that is expected. Yeah. Um, but I think much of the pain uh, in terms of that uh, continued increase, I think in many ways we'll sort of halt here for for a little bit. Uh, not to say that obviously we'd all prefer to have cheaper prices, yeah. um, but you know the only thing that could drastically uh, you know affect this again is having a situation of 
you know, some demand destruction again, which I don't foresee. So as long as we're getting vaccinated, um, you know, with the COVID variants, perhaps it might linger a little bit where we're not really, you know, fully back in terms of uh, demand, uh, you know, throughout the world. But I think on the mm -hmm. continent as well, we're starting to see a, quite a bit of recovery um, as well. So I, I would say I, what we should expect is sustained prices where we are, um, given that we're price takers um, of, of, of crude products. Okay, uh, that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, and then, so you, 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 you've mentioned the way uh, more funding is, is, is moving away from fossil uh, fuels into the renewable energy uh, space. So maybe we could just take a few minutes, you know, to look at, um, at that space, given that, that Kenya is actually one of, at the forefront of uh, renewable energy production, uh, so generation uh, across the continent. Um, so what has been, what has really driven that shift? Uh, and, and I know even Lidl Energy um, focuses more on renewable energy. So maybe you can just share a few comments uh, on that space. Yeah. No, absolutely. Thanks, Eric. Uh, so I think on the renewable energy side, so first, East, Af East Africa uh, has been a major destination for in international investment uh, in the renewable energy space. I think when you look at historically our power purchase agreements in Kenya are US dollar denominated and majority of our IPPs independent power producers are currently owned by foreign foreign owned companies and have been financed either in euros or US dollars. So, right? so it's bright that you can park your money here uh, in this particular sector um, without necessarily having, you know, sort of major currency risk, right? Um, yeah. Like other countries. I think the region as well and its leaders also understand the value of bringing on sustainable and cheaper sources of energy from yeah. renewable energy. So yeah. and I would say specifically in Kenya, I mean, we've really uh, gone out of our way to advocate for more renewable energy investments and show that we are part of you know, the efforts of decarbonization um, and ultimately getting to a net zero world. Um, and, you know, the other thing I think to think through with renewable energy and why we're also seeing this shift is I think we're also cognizant that Africa is one of the most vulnerable to issues around climate change. Yeah. So therefore our countries also want to be part of the solution, I would say. Uh -huh. um, so specifically in Kenya, I think what we have seen throughout is that we've been fully committed to the shift in renewable energy. And that is even evident uh, in within our generation mix, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think currently at the moment, Kenya is currently at you know, between 70 and 80% renewable energy. Yeah. Um, a big part of that is hydro uh, that probably leads, that's roughly 30%. Mm -hmm. um, geothermal, uh, which is 28%. You know, we see solar at 2%. And then wind, obviously, with the Lake Turkana project has, you know, kind of picked up at 12%. Uh -huh. um, and even with that, um, our state corporations, so for example, take a Kengen, so Kenya's electricity generating company. Yeah unveiled an elaborate renewable energy um, expansion strategy mm -hmm. um, and they intend to grow our geothermal base in the region you know it's it's incredible to think that 
you know, Kenya has a 10 gigawatt potential for geothermal. And at wow. the moment, you know, we, we're only, we're even under a thousand megawatts of that. Yeah. Um, so I think the country through Kenjin as well, and it's good to give credit where it's due. Yeah. Uh, we are supporting other African nations with their geothermal drilling efforts. So not only are we committed in the country, but I think what we're seeing is that we're also encouraging the region to do the same. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's really massive, the potential that you've mentioned uh, of about uh, 10 uh, gigawatts when we, are, we, are, we have barely scratched the, the surface. It means that, you know, uh, we could get to a point where uh, we could actually export some of, uh, some of that energy as well as a country. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, so um, maybe as, as then as we as we move towards uh, the end of, of this discussion, um, what is some of the uh, innovative, uh, maybe um, innovations or innovative companies that, you know, excite you in the renewable energy space, uh, both uh, say at the country or continent level? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, you know, so you'll put me, so some of my clients might not be happy with me if I tell you who they, who they are. So you let can, me, you I think, just speak, name the innovation more broadly. Yeah, yeah, so maybe speak more broadly. Yeah. Um, I think I have been excited by companies um, who understand that we cannot fix a lot of our energy issues without tackling some of the policy issues as well, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and these are companies who have the capacity to advise our governments when it comes to attracting investments. I know we do that. Our firm is currently involved in various restructuring efforts, both on the policy side at the Ministry of Energy uh, yeah. in Kenya and also yeah. with our power utility. But mm -hmm. I think some of the things that we should be seeing and that excite me is you know, getting to a place where we encourage a harmonized voice from our various energy stakeholders, right? Yeah. So the Ministry of Energy, the regulator, the utility, and this hasn't always been the case all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to essentially send out the right market signals. I think, you know, enhancing some of companies that are also enhancing some of our operational capabilities um, yeah. and revenue collection, um, you know, the installation of smart meters, um, you know, thinking through um, how we can, you know, solve for a cost reflective tariff, right? Wow. Uh, dealing with some of the issues around the high number of, you know, expression of interest that were there. Mm -hmm. um, even as, you know, companies that you not, might not necessarily think are the clasp of innovation, like the tax, tax laws, you know, yeah. currently there's been a lot of changes to, you know, taxation that sometimes is to the detriment uh, of us promoting renewable energy. And wow. then again, also collaborating with the various IPPs. Yeah. I think we have also been excited by companies, for example, who are, I want to say maybe more pragmatic about the plight of where we are in terms of increasing renewable energy. Uh -huh. and maybe this is a at nations, mm -hmm. um, even more important than renewables being cheaper um, is a conversation around what is the right mix and optimal generation mix for the country. Yeah. And we find often that those decisions are made for us and not by us, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we might be fortunate to have all this renewable energy, but we also rely heavily on hydro as a base load. Yes. Um, and with all the droughts that we've been seeing, you know, it hasn't been reliable. So uh -huh. I think companies who have the ability to advocate for cheaper fuel and the push yeah. for renewable energy um, and, you know, to ensure that there's grid stability and that means more baseload power. Mm -hmm. And these are companies who are not necessarily saying 
we're going to join the herd mentality, but are making the difficult decisions to say, no, we will encourage LNG to act as a bridge for renewable energy so that we can have, you know, we can optimize on more renewable energy. It is companies that are looking at opportunities around battery storage, right? Uh Gas conversion of our existing thermal uh, power plants, because a lot of these power plants are quite old and they're quite critical and they sit right at the clasp of many of our load centers. Where the population is, is exactly where they are. So we do have to think through that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I recognize that those are difficult decisions to have. I think companies as well that have taken advantage of the mobile money payments as well. So, you know, companies who are, you know, sort of invested in the mini grid arena, um, you know, and, you know, so both mini grid arena and just thinking about innovating for the rural electrification. So the 600 million that our people that I was talking about, Mm -hmm. finding innovative ways of getting them um, electricity, right? Um, You know, to light up our continent. Uh And then lastly, I think the the bulk of the other companies, and again, I say these specifically for the African continent, are people who are able to harness data, right? it is sort of the new goal that we have at the moment. And it is harnessing that data very often where it allows investors to be able to make critical decisions that would be um, in the best interest, I think, of both our our countries and I think the continent at large. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Uh, I think personally for me, I think also uh, from a consumer point of view, uh, companies that are in the mini grid space uh, really, really excite me because, you know, then they allow, uh, as you mentioned, the 600 million without um, connection to the to the main electricity uh, grid, that um, connection to to some sort of power, which is which is actually very very interesting. Yeah. No. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. Then so uh, maybe just looking at the near future, then what uh, should we look forward to um, on the on the energy space, uh, both at a country and an African uh, level? Uh, as as we see more can economies now uh, recover from COVID? Um, I think it, it will still be a sort of a, a painful and rather slow journey. I think sometimes you have wins and then there's particular setbacks. Uh-huh. Um, I think I would encourage us to kind of look holistically at what the benefits, the long-term benefits are for us as an economy. Uh-huh. Um, I think on that, I would encourage that you know, we're really pragmatic um, about fixing um, what it what we say is industrialization for a country. I mean, considering that our manufacturing sector has not really moved much since we got into independence, uh-huh. um, and those ultimately would be where uh, a significant amount of that energy consumption would go. I think we really need to stop and think: what are we not doing right, and fix some of those uh, issues. Yeah. Um, I think without demand creation, and I think the manufacturing sector as well falls right into that. Mm-hmm. Um, then you know it, it makes it very difficult. Uh, it's sort of a chicken and egg situation where we might be chasing you know more investment. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still at a place where we do not require it. So, you know, rightly so, looking at even, you know, capacity at the moment in the country and then where we are um, on demand, right? Um, the uh-huh. fact that we do have currently at the moment that we do have more capacity, electricity uh, capacity, um, that we do, you know, the demand for that electricity. And so it's it's bridging that gap 
Mm-hmm. but also having the foresight to know that we we do need to continue planning. Yeah. Um, I think it will be exciting. Um, I think, you know, with us being at the crux of supporting our clients around, uh, you know, conversion of a lot of these thermal power plants, I'm very excited to see, um, even as we're having the conversations about the long-term pipeline, but mm. perhaps some private sector innovation around uh, the importation of LNG to fuel some of these plans. Um, I think, you know, there there are other investments that are being made uh, to enhance, uh, even from an importation of fuel standpoint, like I recently had an opportunity to visit uh, what will be the, you know, KOT2, um, our, our terminal jetty, and, and, and seeing a lot of those you know, sort of infrastructure improvements mm-hmm. uh, that are slated to be done until the end of the year means that, you know, that will safeguard the fuel stocks within the country. And in addition to that, reduce some of the demurrage costs that perhaps were being passed on to uh, the fuel tariff um, uh, ultimately. So those are some of the things that I'm I'm quite excited to see. I think the on the other side, battery storage um, as it's, you know, coming down so that, you yeah. know, whereas right now we worry about renewable energy because it's intermittent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult to store it. And I think the pricing points are not where we need them to be yeah. uh, to, you know, encourage it at, at you know, at a larger scale. I think I'm excited to see a lot of that in innovation, um, you know, come on board. Um, and so then there will not be that, you know, conversation around, you know, renewable energy um, and not and that not being a base load. Um, quite excited for that. And then I think just a, a push and a drive around um, sustainable investing. Um, I think that will be quite critical uh, for all of us to ensure that as a continent and specifically our private sector companies are prepared for that. And then lastly, I think it's the our reliance on our government or the exchequer to finance a lot of our critical energy infrastructure. Um, I think personally, part, this is partly why we're in, you know, the current debt crisis because we finance everything through, you know, uh, through government uh, yeah. or government borrowing. Um, yeah. So it will be exciting to see us moving from there. So things like transmission uh, projects uh-huh. uh, being financed um, by investors, you know, yeah. and then that takes away or relieves the financial burden from governments. Awesome. Uh, I I think uh, that you know. It, marks the perfect you know way to to sort of end uh, this discussion uh, obviously i would want us to have another discussion uh, some other time to just go deeper into renewable energy uh, but maybe i can wrap it up with uh, sort of like um, a more personal question you're also an investor in the tech uh, businesses in kenya uh, what are your thoughts especially on on the ecosystem and you know what 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 kind of industries or what do you do you look uh, at when you're investing in, you know, in tech businesses in the country. Mm. Um, so yeah, so the, yeah, this you're right in in that that this has been quite personal. I think I, I do have to recognize that I, through those investments, um, uh, perhaps I've been afforded a a lens. Um, given that very often um, I probably went to the same schools as many of the people who 
are, you know, sort of the tech founders. And then on the other side, I also, you know, worked, for example, within the Wall Street banks and various financial institutions with Mm. those that have become venture capitalists or angel investors in a lot of these businesses, right? So I think what it says is that very similar to Silicon Valley, I think the ecosystem, number one, is still small. I think we need to to do more to make that broader. and I think access to information um, yeah. as well, uh, recognizing that money moves where it feels safe, right? Yeah. So especially with our local entrepreneurs, uh, number one, it's ensuring that first, um, not just from an, uh, from an investment standpoint, we also, you know, cognizant that we should be doing more as um, sort of as locals, right? As Kenyans to actually be the ones who are providing that angel investing. I don't think it should be what the current situation is right now, where a lot of that money, you know, is is from foreigners, you know, um, and, and particularly the West. I think we can certainly do better there. Um, I think doing coaching, um, a little, a, a, a lot more coaching, I think, yeah. uh, in terms of what it takes to do capital raising, right? Um, uh-huh. It's these issues that I'm having a conversation with you about right now on ESG and ESG reporting, right? So for yeah. a lot of our tech businesses, do you have all your documentation, you know, right at the beginning of the business? You know, have you kind of thought through the long term in terms of where, you know, where you ultimately want to go? Yeah. Um, and then are preparing the brand and the messaging to serve you um, Uh and to get to a place where you're able to attract that type of investment. Um, I think we also haven't done as much with the accelerators, you know, so it's one thing to put a group of entrepreneurs together. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Sweden, I've, I've, you know, I was extremely impressed by the ecosystem that they had created. It might be a small company, but generally they're, you know, their tech startups are usually global startups. I mean, take Spotify as an example. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that they did different with us, and I know that there are a few firms that are, are trying this out, is that you have the entrepreneur, uh, the tech entrepreneur, you know, sitting side by side with the potential investors. So uh-huh. in many ways, you harmonize the language mm-hmm. between the entrepreneur and then ultimately what the investor would be looking for for and so you close that gap uh sooner rather than later right um after a lot of capital has already been expended Uh but on that note i think i will say that i have been you know impressed um especially in nigeria (laughs) you know with Uh some of you know kind of the unicorns that we're seeing out there yeah and that even in the west uh, particularly in Silicon Valley, that they are taking, you know, African-led uh, startups uh, quite seriously. So it's very encouraging, um, you know, for for people who can participate and play on both sides. Awesome. Uh, thank you very much again for the time. I, I've really, really enjoyed the discussion. And thank you so much for having me and, and continue doing the great work at Kenyan Wall Street. Awesome. Thank you very much.